0: The Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 94 of AFF On Air. It's the 1st of October 2022 and happy birthday to my dad. Coming up, I'll talk about why airline award charts are the key to maximising your frequent flyer points. And I'll share with you some of the most incredible frequent flyer redemptions people have been able to book over the years using points. And COVID travel restrictions are coming down across Northern Asia as Japan, Taiwan and Hong Kong finally reopen their borders to tourists. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, Virgin Atlantic has announced that it will join the SkyTeam Alliance early next year. It's good news for Virgin Atlantic Flying Club members, who will soon be able to earn and redeem Flying Club points across the whole SkyTeam Alliance, as well as earning tier points on SkyTeam Airlines and getting to enjoy those benefits across the whole SkyTeam Alliance. And likewise, members of other SkyTeam frequent flyer programs will soon be able to use their benefits on Virgin Atlantic. Other SkyTeam member airlines already include um, carriers like Delta, Air France, KLM, Korean Air, Vietnam Airlines, and Garuda. While the benefit of this to Australians may not be immediately obvious, it's very good news potentially for American Express card holders, because Amex membership rewards points earned in Australia can be transferred into the Virgin Atlantic Flying Club program. And from next year, this means you'll be able to use Amex points to book flights across the SkyTeam network through the Flying Club program, something that's not otherwise currently possible using Amex points or with just about any other Australian credit card program for that matter. And in more alliance news, Rwandair has announced that it plans to join the One World Alliance with the backing of current member Qatar Airways. Rwandair is the national carrier of Rwanda in Africa. If the airline is accepted into One World, it would be a great win for the alliance, which currently lacks coverage through Central and Southern Africa. International flights in and out of Australia have been very, very full in recent months. You might have noticed this already. As demand surges, And airlines are yet to fully restore capacity into the market. Now, in July this year, the most recent month for which data is available, Etihad Airways filled more than 98% of its seats on flights between Australia and Abu Dhabi, and that's in both directions. Um, And to give you a few more examples, Emirates filled 96% of seats to and from Dubai. Qatar filled 96% of seats to and from Doha. Delta filled 95% of seats between Sydney and Los Angeles. United's flights to Australia were 94% full. Qantas had a 95% load factor to and from Rome, as well as 94% to London and Johannesburg. And I could go on, but you get the idea. Flights were very, very full. And with flights this full, it's not hard to see why airfares have been so expensive lately. The high fares are also related to higher fuel prices, a lack of competition from Chinese airlines, particularly on routes to Europe and Asia, and the Russian airspace issues. But as of July, international flight capacity to and from Australia had only returned to around 54% of pre-COVID levels, and that's the main reason that the fares have been so high. As capacity is restored, prices are expected to come down again and water availability should gradually improve. Capacity is now likely back to around 60% of pre-COVID levels, and this will increase over the coming months as more flights come back online. Just in the last few weeks, Qantas has resumed flights from Sydney to Tokyo and launched a new route from Sydney to Bengaluru, which will help. And in around a month from now, X will resume flights from Melbourne, Perth, Uh, and daily flights from Sydney to Kuala Lumpur as well as Sydney to Auckland flights Air Mauritius is going to resume flights from Perth to Mauritius, Jetstar's starting flights from Sydney to Seoul, Qantas will start flights from Perth to Johannesburg Qantas will also resume flights from Sydney to Santiago, United will resume flights from Melbourne to Los Angeles and Sydney to Houston as well as launching Brisbane to San Francisco and Virgin Australia will resume flights to Queenstown, so there are definitely more flights coming online but it will take a bit of time for that capacity to get back up To normal pre COVID levels. Jetstar is not currently selling any seats on its flights between Australia and Bali for travel up until the 17th of October, which is after the end of the school holidays. Those seats for travel dates up until then were removed from sale more than a week ago and have not returned. While some flights are likely indeed fully booked already due to the school holidays and it is a very popular time to travel to Bali at the moment, it seems that Jetstar has also taken the decision not to sell any more seats on flights that are not yet fully booked while the airline gets its long-haul operations back on track and keep and anticipating probably that it's going to have to downsize some of the aircraft it's using. In recent weeks, many Jetstar flights have unfortunately been delayed or cancelled, particularly the long-haul flights, as multiple Boeing 787 aircraft have been out of service with mechanical issues. At one point earlier this month, around five of Jetstar's 11 Boeing 787 aircraft were out of service either for scheduled or unscheduled maintenance, causing disruptions across the airline's international network, and it's left many Jetstar passengers stranded overseas or scrambling to rebook their holidays on other airlines. Qantas has reinstated vegetarian meals and snacks on domestic flights after a massive public backlash. The second meal option on shorter flights had been removed during COVID. Velocity frequent flyer members could see even more benefits in the near future when flying on partner airlines. Velocity Gold and Platinum members recently gained access to Air Canada lounges, but even more reciprocal status benefits with Air Canada could be coming, the airline has suggested. Meanwhile, Hawaiian Airlines says it's in talks with Virgin Australia about introducing new benefits for Velocity members who have status when flying on Hawaiian, and Virgin Australia and Qatar Airways have promised to launch a new loyalty proposition for business travellers in the near future. More and more airlines are offering shortcuts to attaining or retaining elite status to frequent flyers who contribute to environmental causes. Qantas and Etihad Airways began the trend earlier this year with their Green Tier and the Conscious Choices programs, respectively. Qantas customers, for example, can now earn 50 status credits or 10,000 bonus points, they have a choice, each year that they complete activities, including purchasing carbon offsets, buying eco friendly wires, and donating their points to charity. Flying Blue, the loyalty program of Air France and KLM, has now brought in a similar offer where customers can earn extra XP, which count towards status, by purchasing sustainable aviation fuel or supporting sustainable causes when buying a ticket. Lufthansa, meanwhile, recently introduced green fares into the Scandinavian market, which include full carbon offsetting, a purchase of sustainable aviation fuel, and also earn 20% more status and award miles within Lufthansa's Miles and More program. There's been a further update on the issue that has been the release of Qatar Airways reward seats to Qantas Frequent Flyer members, and while it's not good news, at least a clear pattern has now emerged, so you at least have some idea now of what to expect. Until recently, Qantas Frequent Flyer members could redeem points for award flights on Qatar Airways up to 360 days in advance. Now, economy award seats are only being released up to 249 days in advance, and business and first-class seats for travel on Carter Airways are only being made available to Qantas Frequent Flyer members up to 119 days in advance, or around four months out from travel. Similar restrictions now seem to also be applying when redeeming points or miles in other One World Frequent Flyer programs, including American Airlines Advantage and possibly also Cathay but Velocity frequent flyer members can still book Qatar Airways reward seats up to 330 days in advance, which is the maximum that you can book with Velocity points. And members of Qatar Airways Privilege Club, British Airways Executive Club, or Iberia Plus, and with those programs you can transfer Avios between each of the programs, can now use their Avios, the, which is the you know the the mutual currency, to book seats up to 355 or 360 days before departure, so around a year out. And this means that Qatar is now very clearly giving priority access to reward seats to members of a select few frequent flyer programs over others. Meanwhile, Qatar Airways has delayed the launch of its new route from Canberra to Doha via Melbourne, which was due to start today. The Canberra to Melbourne portion of this flight will now get up and running from the 1st of December. However, the Melbourne to Doha portion will start up from today, which means that Melbourne to Doha is now run twice daily. Also on the 1st of December, Qatar is going to upgrade its Perth to Doha route from a Boeing 777 to an Airbus A380 service, same as Sydney, which means that there will soon be significantly more economy seats available from Perth to Doha and the introduction of first class. Qantas has just ended its policy of fee-free changes to classic flight reward bookings that was introduced at the start of the pandemic to encourage bookings at a time when travel was still very uncertain. From today, changes to Qantas Classic Flight Reward bookings will once again cost 5,000 points and cancellations will attract a fee of 6,000 Qantas points. International Classic Flight Reward bookings made up to and including the 30th of September this year can still be changed or cancelled for free until the end of 2022. Flybys says it has no plans to switch its partnership with Virgin Australia's Velocity program to Qantas Frequent Flyer. Questions were raised after Flybys sent out detailed surveys to selected members, asking for their thoughts on a possible switch that would see Flybys members be able to transfer their points to Qantas, and even possibly be able to earn Qantas status credits for shopping at Coles. In recent weeks, Qantas Frequent Flyer has also surveyed some of its members with questions about Flybys. At this stage, though, it seems that these are just routine surveys that loyalty programs send out from time to time to gauge member satisfaction and feedback. But you never know, things could change, so who knows what might happen in the future. Malaysia Airlines passengers flying from Australia or New Zealand to destinations across Asia, the Middle East and Europe are eligible to book a free bonus side trip to one of seven destinations in Malaysia until the end of this year when travelling up until March 2023. Eligible passengers can stop over in Kuala Lumpur when travelling onwards to somewhere else in Asia or also Qatar or the UK, and add on a round-trip domestic flight from Kuala Lumpur to elsewhere in Malaysia for just the cost of any additional taxes and airport charges, SkyTeam has opened a new and improved airport lounge in Sydney's International Terminal. It's located near Gate 25 and it's been refurbished with floor-to-ceiling windows, new food and drink options including a live cooking station and bar, and private phone call booths like those commonly found in Japanese airport lounges. You have just a few days left to redeem velocity points for Singapore Airlines flights without paying any carrier charges – From next Wednesday, the 5th of October, Velocity will introduce carrier charges of between 30 and 150 US dollars per flight sector per passenger on Singapore Airlines reward seats, which will need to be paid in addition to the regular taxes and points. And Velocity has brought back its twice yearly transfer bonus offer a month early. Normally, Velocity offers at least 15% bonus points when transferring from selected credit card and hotel loyalty programs to Velocity frequent flyer each May and November. But this year, Velocity did have an offer in May, um, but it's running this offer now in October for some reason. Interestingly, it looks like ComBank Awards is even participating this time around, which is one of the programs that usually sits these promotions out. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. As a member of the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum or a listener to this podcast, I'm sure you're often looking for clever ways to use your frequent flyer points. I mean, that's half the reason we're all here, isn't it? At a basic level, the common advice is to use your points for flights and upgrades where you can, as that will get you the most value. But the key to really maximising the value in frequent flyer programs is to understand the award charts which determine how many points you'll need to book a flight. Now, there are two main types of airline award charts. There's distance-based, and then there's also regional or zone-based award charts. And there are also various hybrid models of this, like with Air Canada's program, and some frequent flyer programs have unfortunately now removed award charts and price awards dynamically. And that's a shame, because there are fewer opportunities to extract outsized value when redemptions are priced dynamically, because then they're basically just priced according to demand or according to the cash fare, rather than um, a fixed price based on the award chart. The majority of Frequent Flyer programs, though, still do use award charts, which are either distance or zone-based. For example, with Qantas Frequent Flyer and Velocity, the number of points you'll need for a redemption ticket is determined mainly by the distance that you're flying. And so the sweet spot here where you'll get the most value is clearly to use your points on shorter flights that are normally very expensive when buying a ticket with cash. I'm talking about routes, for example, like Sydney to Lord Howe Island where a seat often sells for well over $500 one way in economy, but where you can book a classic flight reward for 8,000 Qantas points and around $80 in taxes. And that, that's a great use of 8,000 points if you can find a redemption seat. And of course, with uh, zone-based award charts, it, stand, it can also still be very good value to redeem for long-haul flights, particularly in business class. Um, but it's the prices fundamentally are uh, you know based on the distance that you're flying. With region-based award charts, on the other hand, finding the best value can be a bit more nuanced. With these kinds of charts, award tickets have a fixed price depending on the region or zone where you're starting and ending your trip. So for example, with the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program, it costs a fixed number of miles to fly from anywhere on the east coast of Australia, so Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide, Cairns, etc., or even New Zealand, um, and then to anywhere in Europe on Singapore Airlines. So from Brisbane to Paris or Auckland to London, Melbourne to Frankfurt, whatever, it's the same number of miles. Um, It's just in one, it's just that they're all in the same zones. Um, it's also a fixed price with Chris Flyer miles to fly from anywhere in Australia, New Zealand or the Pacific on Star Alliance to anywhere else within that same region. So anywhere else in Australia, New Zealand or the Pacific Islands. And so, for example, it's the same number of Chris Flyer miles to book an Air New Zealand flight from Wellington to Christchurch, which is a short one hour hop, as it is to fly all the way from Perth to Tahiti via Auckland. And that's a trip that would involve around 12 or 13 hours of flying. So because of how this works out, region-based award charts often have very specific um, loopholes or sweet spots, but very good ones where you can get extremely good value. Um, You know, that is where you can do a lot of flying for just a small number of points or miles. Now, there are definitely still plenty of sweet spots today in most frequent flyer programs. I just shared one of you with the Chris Flyer program. And often, if you're looking at programs which have, for example, um, quite cheap redemptions within a particular zone, but the zone is quite large, that can also be a place um, where you can get a lot of value. Like I've seen a lot of programs, for example, that price um, any award within Africa or within South America as a low fixed number of points. And that's you can fly quite a long way within Africa or within South America. Um, just just to give you an example. Um, now, for obvious reasons, I'm not going to share too many of the current good ones on this podcast because um, I'm sure you can appreciate that otherwise they'll just get shut down tomorrow if the airlines pick up on the loopholes or if you know if people start exploiting them on a mass scale. Um, But I thought I would share with you in today's podcast a few of the absolute all-time classic award chart loopholes from history that have come and gone over the years. And, you know, while these loopholes have obviously since been shut down, you know, in this case they were too good to be true um, in the long term, um, people did book these tickets and the same principles do still apply today. One of my favourite loopholes was when the Life Miles Program, that's the program of Avianca, which still exists, um, classified Guam as part of the United States on its award chart. Now, Guam absolutely is a US territory, that it, that part is true, but if you have a look at a map, it's nowhere near the continental United States. It's a small island in the Pacific Ocean, roughly between Japan and Papua New Guinea, and it's a, it's a few hours flight from the Philippines. But because Lifemiles was pricing flights to Guam like any other flight within the, um, you know, to anywhere else in the United States, you could fly all the way, for example, from New York to Guam for the same cost as a flight from New York to anywhere else in the U.S., like New York to Boston or New York to Washington, for example. And that worked out to be twelve thousand five hundred Lifemiles in economy or twenty five thousand miles in business class, and you could buy those miles for just a few hundred dollars during a promotion. So clearly, excellent value there. Most of the flights from the US to Guam also routed via Japan, so you could even fly from the US to Japan and then continue on to Guam just for that low price. Now this is roughly the equivalent to classifying French Polynesia or New Caledonia as part of France, which they of course technically are, but on an airline award chart, that would basically mean that you're charging for a flight from Paris to Noumea or from Paris to Papiati, the same as a domestic flight within you know, mainland continental France, like from Paris to Lyon, which is clearly nuts. Now, for a while, LifeMiles also used to classify the far east of Russia as part of Europe. And so, for example, you could fly from London to Khabarovsk, which is in um, near Vladivostok in, in sort of eastern Siberia. But you would fly via Korea or Japan for the same price as a flight from London to Frankfurt or anywhere else within Europe. Another one involving Guam was when the US Airways Dividend Miles Program classified Guam as part of the same region as the Pacific Islands, or like, for example, Papua New Guinea. And so a return booking from Australia to Guam would cost only 30,000 dividend miles in business class. That's round trip, which again, you could have bought at the time quite cheaply. And US Airways was part of Star Alliance, so you could use their miles to fly with other airlines across the Alliance. Now here's the kicker. The only flights available on Star Alliance between Australia and Guam, once United stopped flying between Cairns and Guam many years ago, were all via Japan. And so you could and you could also have a free stopover along the way. So people would book from Australia to Japan, have a stopover there for a couple of weeks then continue to Guam, maybe stay for one or two days, and then return all the way back to Australia via Japan again in business class for 30,000 miles. How Sadly, dividend miles ceased to exist after US Airways merged with American Airlines in the last decade. Um, but that, that was a great one. Perhaps the best redemption i've heard though was another one with us airways dividend miles which i'm not sure was technically um how the program is supposed to work but i i have heard of someone who booked this um back at this time online redemptions were not possible so you had to call up us airways to book and as it happened geography was not the strong point of the us airways call center staff and that's putting it mildly i mean Many of the people that you would speak to on the phone seem to have no idea where anything was actually if it was located outside the US. And so they would allow things that probably they shouldn't have. And I know of one person who wasn't me for the record who did once try their luck with booking an intra-Europe reward flight from Frankfurt to Zurich, so Germany to Switzerland, in first class. However, since there were no direct flights available in first class between Frankfurt and Zurich with the Star Alliance Airline, um direct flights anyway they told the call center agent that they'd be happy to an accept an, to accept an itinerary via bangkok in thai airways first class now the call center operator didn't bat an eyelid and they booked it for them at the cost of a one way flight within europe which was something like 10 or 15000 miles from memory absolute madness that's about what's that 26 hours of flying in first class Absolute bargain. Now, I'm certainly not condoning trying to cheat the system or to trick um, the airline call center staff. That's really a one off and a kind of an amazing story. But I don't think that's the kind of thing that you would be able to book again um and nor nor probably should you try and book that i mean and airlines nowadays have become a lot smarter than that but there are still plenty of legitimate award chart sweet spots that are well within the program rules if you look hard enough especially with those frequent flyer programs like i said that use those region-based award charts back in the 1990s Qantas frequent flyer redemptions also used to be extremely good value You could book a multi-stop itinerary all over Australia in business class, for example, flying up to 11,000 kilometres with unlimited stopovers for just 37,500 Qantas points and no taxes whatsoever. Now, of course, the program has totally changed since the 1990s and that would no longer be possible for that price. But also, to be fair to Qantas, it's it's now a lot easier to earn Qantas points and in much larger amounts than it was in 1996, so the, the points were worth a lot more then. And I guess this also highlights how much inflation there is in frequent flyer point currencies. Well, as a question for our listeners, I'd be interested to know what the best redemption is that you've ever booked, or perhaps a great mistake fare that you've been able to take advantage of Let me know in the AFF on-air discussion thread, and you might get a shout-out in the next episode. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you may be interested to know that I also host eight webinars per year for AFF's sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. Each interactive, hour-long online webinar covers a timely topic of interest to frequent flyers and anyone in Australia looking to travel better for less. The next webinar will be held at 8pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday the 11th of October 2022 and the topic will be Business Class to Europe on a Budget. If you'd like to attend any Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, you will need to register in advance. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. Well, by now I'm sure you're probably well and truly sick of hearing about COVID, but don't switch off just yet, I'm here with good news. In many parts of the world, the worst of the COVID travel restrictions like border closures and mandatory quarantine on arrival have already been removed some time ago, but many countries in Northern Asia have continued to hold on to these restrictions until now. It seems that there's now a new wave of COVID restrictions falling away. In news many people have been waiting for, Japan will reopen to tourists on the 11th of October, which is just under two weeks from now. And from that date, the daily international arrival cap will be removed and visa-free travel for tourists reinstated for, for Japan. The requirement to book travel to Japan as part of a tour through a travel agency is also being lifted. So you can now travel or you will very shortly be able to travel again to Japan as an independent tourist. And for international visitors entering Japan who've had at least three doses of COVID-19 vaccine, PCR tests before departure will also no longer be required. Hong Kong has also just removed quarantine requirements for inbound travelers, although you do still need to complete a health form before departure and take a series of PCR tests during the first seven days after arrival, which is like a health monitoring period. And for the first three days after arriving in Hong Kong, you also cannot enter restaurants for the time being. Now, those additional requirements like the testing and things may be eased a bit further in the coming weeks, but that's how it is for now. Either way, it's a huge step back towards normality compared to the previous situation with Hong Kong, where it was still mandatory quarantine on arrival. Taiwan is removing quarantine requirements and visa requirements for overseas tourists as well later this month, which is really good news. And soon it might just be mainland China that's left in the region to still have strict border closures in place due to COVID-19. I'm not sure if North Korea's border is officially closed due to COVID-19 or if it's just always been like that. But that would be the other country, of course, in the region, uh, which is still quite hard to get to. Uh, From today, Canada, meanwhile, has also removed all remaining COVID-19 entry restrictions, including the need to complete an ARRIVE CAN form, as well as their vaccination requirements and the random testing on arrival, which is great news for those travelling to Canada. And New Zealand also removed most of its remaining entry requirements a couple of weeks ago. You just have to fill out a form now before departure. So things are really looking up and there are still, you know, a few remnants of those COVID-19 travel restrictions here and there, but they're now much less of an issue than they were even just six months ago. Um, Australia, of course, itself removed all its remaining COVID restrictions in July and most other countries have followed suit now. So certainly traveling overseas is becoming easier by the month. Well, don't forget that you can leave a comment or ask me a question about anything travel or points related in the AFF on Air discussion thread, and I may answer your question on a future episode. I just wanted to to thank some of our listeners for some recent feedback on that thread. Uh, one of them Charger73 says love the podcast thanks for consistently putting out quality actionable and timely content every fortnight oh that's that's great to hear thank you um and this person says one request on my end from a podcast tragic can you please submit the podcast to overcast for inclusion on their platform as it doesn't show up anywhere on there cheers and keep up the great work now, Charger 73, we have actually tried to um, get the podcast onto Overcast, and I'm to be honest, I'm not really sure why it's not there. I would I would also love to see AFF on air on, on their platform. It's a very good one. We, yeah, We did look into it a little while ago, and we couldn't work out why it wasn't there. There was nothing obvious on our end that we had missed. However, I will ask someone else to have another look at this. We also had a comment from KPC, who says, Given Point Hacks is now the owner of AFF, I think I can post this here. A Great discussion and podcast between Matt, Chris, and Brandon on searching for award flights. Um, yeah, th- thanks for that. Yeah, for anyone who wants to go back and listen to that, I was indeed a guest on um, episode, oh, was Season 2, Episode 8 of the Points of View podcast, which is the Point Hacks podcast. And I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that um, discussion, KPC. Um, yeah, as was announced on the AFF forum, AFF has now been acquired by Point Hacks. so there may be a few more of these kinds of collaborations in the future, and I'll certainly be happy to be a part of that, and uh, Point Hacks is a great brand, but for anyone who's wondering, AFF and Point Hacks will continue to operate as separate websites, and I'm not planning to make any changes to, um, to this podcast, to AFF on Air in the foreseeable future. Uh, and wh- And why would we? I mean, we're up to episode 94 now. I can't believe it. So obviously we're doing something right. You might've noticed that as well, that Chris from Point Hacks was a guest on the last episode of this podcast. Now that actually didn't have anything to do with any of this. I just decided to invite Chris on because he was the most knowledgeable person that I could think of to talk about the Marriott Bonvoy promotion that was running last month. But that was my idea. No one actually asked me to do that. Um, but hopefully you also enjoyed that chat. Now, also some feedback from uh, Goodo about the Chris Flyer Star Alliance Around the World Award, which was the topic of episode 92. Now, it's quite a long post on the AFF on-air discussion thread, so I won't read it out in full, but you can, of course, go to the thread and have a read of the full post. Now, unfortunately, this member found it quite difficult to book this award and says it took about three weeks to get it ticketed, which is, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, And during that time, some of the flights on the partner airlines were dropping out because they hadn't been ticketed by the time limit, which also caused some issues, Goodo said. Um, This person writes that a few learnings on their end were that, um, number one, the availability online versus what the agent could see on the phone with Singapore Airlines, um, with the call center, um, was different. So there were some flights that were showing online, but they couldn't book and vice versa. Um, Secondly, um, they say that not everyone working at the Chris Flyer Call Center knew the rules of the Round the World Awards, even the award agents. And um, they were basically, like, for example, they told them that they had backtracking on their itinerary, that they needed to change, um, which... I'm not really sure if that was correct but anyway um, the third point was that um, yeah they they were told that they couldn't transit somewhere more than once um, even if it was just in transit so like they had to rejig some of their itinerary around Europe um, which is different to the experience of Alan who who was able to book like uh, a flight for example he'd transit through Frankfurt two times en um, on, on route to other places. Um, and the, the fourth point was that um, it, they found it was very difficult to book any any flights on Singapore Airlines or Star Alliance out of Sydney or Melbourne, which seems to be a common thread, but they were able to find something out of Brisbane. Um, and they say that they were able to find one leg out of Melbourne, but they were told they had to depart and arrive into the same city. Um, now, just a couple of comments that I want to make about that. Firstly, it's a shame that you found it that hard to book, Goodo. um I, I'm certainly glad you got there in the end, but... I guess this serves as a useful warning to anyone thinking about booking one of these is that you do need to put in a bit of work and be patient when trying to book. Um, it's certainly great value. It's 280,000 Chris Flyer miles around the world in business class. That's a very good redemption, but they don't make it easy to get that value. Now, Gudo, I think the person you spoke to at the Singapore Airlines Call Centre was wrong on some of those points, unfortunately. Like in particular, the Chris Flyer terms and conditions do specifically state that you are allowed an open jaw um, or sorry, an origin open jaw within the same country, so it should be possible to fly out of Brisbane and then return to Melbourne, for example, on the same ticket. Um, if I were you, I would have probably quoted the Chris Flyer terms and conditions and while well, I was on the phone and drawn the agent's attention to the specific um, condition number um, where it's where it states that, um, because the information that you were getting was wrong, unfortunately. But there's, there's really not a whole lot you can do other than refer to the terms and conditions when the only way to book is over the phone and the agents don't know the rules, except perhaps to hang up and call again and, and wait on hold for a while a bit longer. So um that 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 is really quite frustrating, I have to say. Um now booking one of those before COVID used to be pretty easy when Singapore Airlines' call center was actually in Singapore. Sadly those staff are no longer there, and so now instead when you call up you'll get through to someone either in India or the Philippines. And those those people, I'm, I'm sure they're lovely, but they just have less experience, um, and uh, it's quite likely, in fact, that they've probably never even booked one of these Star Alliance round the world awards, or or perhaps even heard of them, let alone be familiar with the intricacies of the rules. So, um, and it's it's kind of pretty much the same thing as what you get now in trying to call Qantas to book a Qantas uh, one world classic flight reward. At least with Qantas, you do have the possibility to book online most of the time, which is something that you don't get with Singapore Airlines, and that, that's a shame. Well, on that note, though, that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released, unless that platform is overcast, but we're working on that. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, safe travels.